0: I do think that if we can entertain through respect of animals and create an experience um, that is engaging and entertaining and fun, you know, it doesn't have to slap you across the face from an educational standpoint to make you feel like you've gone back to school. Um, you know, if it's and I, for, for lack of a better way of explaining, if we can sneak attack educate you, you don't actually know that you're being educated and you're actually having a really great experience with your family, because that's also why we go out to these, or your friends, You know, we we create experiences for people to um, have a great time with their friends and families and and connect with them as well as connecting with their experience. I, I think you can entertain, educate, inspire all in one.
1: Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success.
2: And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership
1: development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for The Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. Whoa, Went with a, a baritone there at yeah. that time. Something like that. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, it <laughs> deeper, more of the bass notes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I have a question. Or, or the left hand, as I've been saying, while practicing <laughs> piano.
2: Practicing <laughs> piano, exactly. So I've got a question for you. Okay. How's that? There you go. Um, have you ever seen the, um, I don't know exactly what you call it. It's Old Faithful. Have you ever seen Old Faithful? You know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. No,
1: I have not. Okay. Have you?
2: <laughs> I, I was very, very young, but I do remember going there um, and, and seeing Old Faithful um, when I was very young. But what it makes me think of is naturally occurring phenomena that is, we can enjoy as people, as human beings, but we didn't create it. We didn't build a roller coaster. We didn't build, you know, uh, an exhibit. This is just something cool that's happening in nature.
1: Yes. And where have I been? Let's see. I've been to Niagara Falls. Yeah. So that, you know, that falls into that. Um, no pun intended. It, uh, <laughs> And probably a few others that I'll think about right after we record this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do you know why I'm bringing that up? I think so, but you tell me as I'm trying to think (laughs) of other natural phenomenons that I've seen. (laughs) So at
2: the Phillip Island Nature Park, there is something called the Penguin Parade. And we get to hear about that as we're talking to Peter Wittig, who is the GM and acting CEO of the nature park. And it is so fascinating to hear about how these penguins for apparently hundreds of years have been taking this, this walk, this parade without any inspiration or interference from human beings. It's just something that they do. And it's something that their their guests get to experience. I just, I found it fascinating as she was talking about it.
1: It is pretty cool. And considering it's, you know, just a naturally occurring phenomenon, like we, we talk about parades, you know, from, from a sure. theme park mindset, right? You know, we, we think they're, they're very carefully crafted They're You know, it's, it's entertainment, it's, uh, you know, the characters and all that. And, and like the question in magic kingdom, like what time is the three o'clock parade? Like, can you ask like, what time is the three o'clock penguin parade? Like, do they, <laughs> do they operate on a schedule? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Do they? I don't know. Okay. We'll have to find out. We, I think we need to go to Phillip Island Nature Park to find out. I think we need to go
2: to Australia. Uh, Attraction Pros takes Australia. There you got the whole that, country. <laughs> that'd be a big episode. But anyway, Peta, uh, this conversation was just fascinating because she has been to so many different places, London and the States, uh, St. Louis and Dubai, and now back to Australia. And to hear how her her leadership and her career has sort of evolved through all those those different experiences was
1: really fascinating. Yeah, no, this is just such an interesting conversation, you know, we talk about things like inspiring action, uh, you know, which is, you know, the, the purpose of Phillip Island Nature Center and, and inspiring people to act from environmental concerns when, you know, after after interacting with with animals and having the, the fantastic experience there. We talk about knowing your purpose, which, uh, you know, about finding your passion and and really knowing what you want to do and what you don't want to do, because those two are equally as important. And being your authentic self, she gives some really good career advice towards the end or the end of the interview that uh just really insightful and uh and very genuine, very authentic.
2: Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned how it's important that you know what you don't want to do, is you know, that's just as important as knowing what you want to do, and she makes a, a really great point of that. Um, and she's kind of talking through her uh, career journey and the things that she found out, well, I don't want to do that, don't want to do that. But again, that kind of helps inspire you or push you in the in the direction. And so uh, with that, I think just from, you know, you and I talking about our careers and things that we've done, I just think it's important for people to try lots of different things, right? Don't mm-hmm. think you, you're you're going to be stuck in one uh, particular career. Go try lots of different things. You may not like it, and that's okay. I think that's one of the messages that I certainly get from Peta in in hearing her career stories. That if you try something you don't like it, you're probably going to learn something from it. But it's okay, and because eventually that's going to get you on the path that you you should be on.
1: Absolutely, 100% agree. So with that, should we get to this interview with Peta Wittig? Here we go.
2: Hello, PETA. Welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, Matt.
2: Absolutely. So excited to have you here and to get into this conversation. Uh, First of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, and I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, well, my career... Um, started when I was 17 I was Melbourne Aquarium um, opening team and uh, and I it was meant to just be a summer job and I lasted uh, a year and um, from there I traveled and went overseas and then somehow I've landed in Phillip Island at uh, the Phillip Island nature parks and there's obviously a lot lot in between that Um, but uh, yeah my background is is really a lot of startups, um, zoos and aquariums. I've, I've dealt or been working in um, zoos and aquariums for quite a long time, as well as water parks and theme parks, just to mix it up a bit.
1: Excellent. So I'd actually be curious, I, even just going back to Melbourne Aquarium of that being uh, so early on in your career of opening a new facility. I, can you tell us what that was like and particularly for you at, at uh, that stage of your journey?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I um, so I was 17. I had uh, just finished school, um, and I was um, fortunate enough. My parents uh, knew someone who knew someone who knew someone. So I was, uh, uh I you know I, I sort of was almost given the job, which um, is probably shouldn't happen. But I and um, I um was part of the admissions team. So I was too young. They had a simulator ride. Um, which I was too young to operate. It had to be 18 years of age, which used to drive me crazy. So I would go from the ticketing desk to uh, the lift because we uh, we also had uh, stairs which the prams couldn't use. So we had to have lift attendants, which we, we learned. So that was that was fun standing in a lift all day. Um, but for me, it was such a great experience. You know, we were all around the same age. It was fun. Um, you know, we had, you know, a, a really great team that um, really, for me, I just, it was one of the best starting jobs of, of my career. And, and I was there for about a year, I wanted to get into social work, or I thought I wanted to get into social work. And I got into University of Social Work. And I think at one point, I went, I don't, I don't know if that's for me. And um, from there, I actually went over to London I one of my supervisor at the time who's still a very good friend um I said look I don't, I don't know what I want to do and and uh, she said to me well why don't you you know take a, a couple of years off and and travel and I went overseas to London and I um, worked for a travel magazine um and then uh, a recruiter for engineering recruiter um and I uh it's actually took me I I think probably only about five years ago I worked out what I wanted to do when I grew up so I spent about 20 years doing all different types of roles trying to work out um probably most importantly what I didn't like or what didn't fit you know in it so the and and I if you had told me when I was 17 that I'd end up back in tourism um I I, I didn't know that that was going to be a full evolution so yeah I think I worked out as I went no 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 oh actually this this is actually a fun cool industry and yeah I I do want to come back into it so I got back into it um for the Dubai Aquarium someone actually I worked with at the Melbourne Aquarium back when I was 17 was heading over to Dubai and um I said oh look if you if you've got a job for me you know I'm thinking about you know heading overseas again and uh yeah and I got a phone call and he said are you serious I went um I suppose I am. So then I got back in.
2: <laughs> wow, that's so cool! I love the fact how you talk about, um, you know, what you found out you didn't want to do. Right, that kind of helped narrow down what you what you do want to do. And you mentioned uh, going to Dubai, and just before uh, we started recording, we were talking a little bit about that. So can I mean that's such a different part of the world, right? So yeah. can you kind of kind of um, encapsulate what it was like to work there and the opportunities and the things that you saw while you were over there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I hope you can't hear my dog. The joys of being working from home, my dog's yeah. going crazy at the moment. Um, yeah, look, for me, the Dubai was was really an amazing experience. I was only meant to be there for, for two years um, and uh, ended up there for 10 years. Um, for me, the experience, um, I, I, I just couldn't have experienced anything like Um, what I did um, in in the UAE in Australia the you know I was part of the opening team for the Dubai Aquarium um, a water park you know an indoor um, rainforest um, you know a refurbishment of an amusement park and they were all opportunities um, that you know I I don't I just don't think I could have gotten back here in Australia so it was it was really uh, amazing for me and um, you know we were talking before about there's this uh, preconception of being a woman in the Middle East that you know, you don't get those opportunities where, in fact, um, some of the times that, that I got opportunity because I was, you know, a woman and that um, from a, the water park perspective, um, ladies nights were a huge thing in the Middle East. And and they were trying to find an operations manager who was a woman. And, um, yeah, I got a phone call saying, hey, you know, can can you can you swim? <laughs> and I was like, well, I had my bronze medallion back when I was, a, you know a uh, uh, you know a, a teenager and um and then I became a lifeguard and a lifeguard instructor at in a week and then yeah started in the in the water park industry which would just never happen you know um back here in Australia so yeah lots of opportunities
1: so then even, you know, we talk about kind of like the, the geographic cultural differences and then from an aquarium to a water park, very much still under the umbrella of attractions, kind of, you know, things we, we focus on in the podcast here, but, you know, logistically, operationally, kind of even even from a company standpoint, it, it tends to be uh, oftentimes pretty different. Can you talk a little bit about that? Was, was there a, a significant learning curve or was it a lot of copy and paste from at the aquarium, but now just water slides well, instead I- of yeah quite a totally yeah.
0: different totally yeah. different absolutely totally different and and it was a real shock for me and that again working out what I you know didn't didn't like as as was part of you know part for that for me and um water parks were great um I um am very pale skin so being out in the sun wasn't overly uh <laughs> uh, uh something that I uh was very good at uh as uh as I used to get burnt quite a bit, but. Um, you know for me that the team that I was at the water park with were really passionate about you know the life-saving side of things and and water safety and, and a lot of them had grown up in the water parks and and for me getting into that area and and stepping into that world um it was very different and I you know it it was fun and I really enjoyed it but I realized I wasn't passionate about um you know water parks I I had I don't freak, frequent them I probably shouldn't my boss, my old water park boss is watching this now. I, I hadn't actually been in a water park when I got the job. I had to go check out a water park before I got it. But they're, for me, um, really different um, s- fundamental leadership and, and you know, rostering and some of the foundations of, you know, when you are building a facility, they're the same, same. But I think the type of people um, and the type of sort of purpose of a water park to an aquarium are, are very, very different. And and for me, going into um, working for a water park, I really realized that you know animals were my passion, and and that's what I cared about. And you know, an attraction and your purpose, I think, is really key to enjoying what you do and 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 giving that authentic experience. If if you're really passionate about, um, you know, what you're selling, then it's easy to get up in the morning, and it's easy to be. You know, authentic to your team that you're genuinely coming from that place. So for me, yeah, I, I enjoyed and I'm thankful for my my time at you know work, being in a water park um, operation. But it, yeah, definitely, wasn't wasn't something that uh, I would have have stayed in for too too much longer.
2: Yeah, Josh has probably heard this a couple of times, but you know, I, I grew up in the theme park world and amusement parks and rides and things like that. Uh, but in my consulting business, I've worked with a lot of um, Uh, Institutions that have animal collections, zoos, aquariums. We talked about Grant's Farm a minute ago, Mm -hmm. Um, and I've developed really a a keen passion, I think, and and certainly an appreciation for people who care for animals and for um, you know that that put their heart and soul into it. And you know, animal people are special people, right? And they're 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 different, and I think different in a good way. Um, But I'm curious: is that something that was? with you your entire life? Have you always been sort of drawn to animals or is that something that kind of um, developed as you got into that first aquarium experience?
0: Yeah I, no I've always I've always had a, a a passion for animals. I grew up on a five acre property in the middle of country Victoria and I was out on the farm you know either riding horses or collecting frogs or um, you know rounding up our our sheep that we had there and um, you know it was at uh we do laugh uh, you know as you know I lived in the US for a bit and my name um is uh very much a, a an animal name it's Peter the animal rights group um uh-huh. we got a little bit awkward when I'd go to uh, a, some uh conferences because people thought I was from Peter not my name was Peter um <laughs> but uh you know that it's always been something um as a kid I I wanted to be a vet um, that was actually you know before I went, thought about social work I wanted to be a vet but then the blood and guts was uh, a little bit uh, too much for me um, but uh, yeah I, I think for me it 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 came back to that you know real passion for animals I've fostered um, you know tons of cats I am um, a secret crazy cat lady and uh, you know while I was in the Middle East um, I started a an animal welfare website, um, as well as a microchipping website. So it really getting into this industry is for me, the core of, of my passion for animals. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's always just, it's been that way.
1: Yeah. So I'd love to bridge this into where you are today. I would love to know, tell us all about Phillip Island nature park and, and tell us about, uh, I I would say your, your role, your, your day-to-day, what do you do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm now in Phillip Island, which I, uh, I followed, I followed a, a, my, my partner to to Phillip Island. I wasn't actually sure what I was going to do when I came to Phillip Island. And if you're familiar with Phillip Island, it is a small island um, off the coast of uh, Victoria in Australia. And um, I was lucky enough um, that this role came up. So um, my role is the general manager of tourism operations that oversees all of our attractions. So we have um, Churchill Island, um, which is a heritage island, a heritage uh, farm on another island, or an island off another island. Um, and we have Koala Conservation Park, um, which um, has uh, our koalas in a sort of sanctuary style environment. Um, we have um, Nobby Centre, which is this beautiful centre sitting perching on these cliffs um, overlooking Seal Rock, which is one of the, the largest colonies of seals um, in the area and then we have our famous penguin parade as well which uh, I think most people think of when they think of Phillip Island. Um, at the moment I'm lucky enough to be acting in the CEO role. Um, our um, CEO is is actually traveling around Australia um, with her family in a van which I'm very jealous about um, and she'll be back in, in about uh, two months so I'm in that this hot seat for the moment um, but yeah, my general role is is overseeing um, our tourist attractions and for me, one of the coolest things about um, Phillip Island Nature Parks is that we are completely not-for-profit and the model that, um, that we have, which is all of the funds um, that we make from our tourist attraction, goes directly into our conservation work. So we don't just have our tourist attractions, we also... Uh, manage uh, it's around 1800 hectares um, of coastal and um, land of uh, coastal land and 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 different areas coastal reserves um and so all of the work that we do in our in the space of the tourism side you know funds all of that great work so we have you know on on team we have researchers rangers um people who we have a fox detection a fox detection dog team um you know because we 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 were fox free for quite a while. We did have one fox recently, which we we oh. hope we've caught. Um, you know, but but all of that work, um, that 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 passionate team of people do is funded by a tourist attraction. So, that for me was a great evolution of my career because while you know, uh, you know there's some fantastic zoos and aquariums out there that do amazing things in conservation. A lot of the time, it's a percentage of profit goes to the conservation, whereas with the you know Phillip Island Nature Parks um it's 100 percent um going to to what we do in the, the land management. Um the other thing I think for for me, which is really amazing about um what we do, is um the Phillip Island um, penguin parade is it's it's a completely wild attraction. So every night these little these little penguins come up um, and it's a naturally occurring experience. And <clears throat> about, and this is gonna test me, I feel like it's about Thirty years ago, and I probably have people screaming through the the things, and that's the wrong date, Peter. But we, <laughs> the, the, where the Penguin Parade um, is, used to be a housing estate. So back, you know, many many years ago, um, the penguins and people lived in this this area, and and from my understanding, it's the largest buyback in in the world of housing estate to give back to wildlife. Um, so um, you know that that in itself is an amazing story. Um, and you know every night you know we we create this awe and wonder and it it is actually really great to stand down there um when people are coming and and they they just can't believe that these you know these animals are they just waddle past they don't really care about that you're standing there and um yeah it's it's just it's a it's a pretty great for me coming from you know animals in under care and and you know in zoos and aquariums just having that natural experience that people can, really see these you know unique creatures doing natural behavior in their natural habitat which is with what we all aim for in zoos and aquariums that's why we create zoos and aquariums because we're trying to recreate nature so yeah that that's what we do it here at phillip island and it's it's yeah pretty cool i might be a bit biased but yeah
2: <laughs> that that does sound really cool how long has the penguin parade been going on
0: ah oh, i well it's but from a european perspective so from from a um <clears throat> yeah a european perspective about 100 years of of the penguin parade going on but before that you know penguins been coming up long before us and and obviously under you know under um uh, our um cultural heritage and and um and aboriginal heritage have been around for for many many years but yeah so it has been going on for a while um and uh yeah they they're still coming up and um, hopefully, we we get more and more. We went from when the housing estate, um, and again, I'm going to get in trouble for these numbers, but I think it was around twenty thousand penguins on the Summerland Peninsula area, and now we're up at the forty five thousand mark of of penguins that call um, the Summerland Peninsula home, which is is pretty remarkable.
1: Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, one of the things I that uh, when just looking at the website just seeing what the purpose statement is of philip island nature park about to protect nature for wildlife and inspire people to act i uh, would love it if you can tell us about that and particularly how the experiences in the park are inspiring actions from the guests who are coming to visit you
0: yeah i think for me in you know inspiring people to act is about creating a connection and if they come to um, you know our attractions and 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 really get a connection and get a connection with the animals that they they experience they're more likely to um, really um, go home and 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 do something and I think that that's really what we we aim to do is really create connections with the animals that that they come and see and by that it's an easier sell <clears throat> so if you come and you you know you're and I'll use the, the Penguin Parade as as the example, but if you come to the Penguin Parade and, and you, um you know, get a really unique experience with one of those little penguins and you just think that's the coolest thing you've ever seen, um, you're more likely to do something. Now, whether that's you don't use a plastic straw or it's donate money or it's how hey, you tell other people to come to Phillip Island to see these little penguins because by doing that you're allowing us to do all these great research it can be anything but it all really starts with creating a really unique engaging experience that connects people to nature because without that and without connecting and and getting them to or getting not getting them to care but you know inspiring them to care None of the other stuff is going to happen because it, it may happen that night and they may, you know, when they're at a retail store, you know, they, they may think about getting a reusable bag, but then they forget about it. But if you can create that unique experience that really engages and inspires and connects them to that animal, um, it's it's hopefully a lifelong thing. So that's really what we what we aim to do.
2: So I'm already connected to the Penguin Parade, <laughs> even though I've never seen it, I just think it sounds really, really cool. Um, yeah. but I'm curious, what are some of the other ways that may, may not be so naturally occurring uh that you do to try to create those connections and that inspiration? Um, so people come in, maybe they haven't heard of that type of animal or they have never seen it, you know, in a in a habitat. What are those things that you're doing to try to create those connections?
0: Yeah. We so we've we're lucky enough just to get a, a brand new um amazing visitor center um so uh just before we and, and probably a lot of people remember the, the before we had the pandemic we had fires um so uh in australia so we had we built this beautiful center and it, it is amazing um and then um unfortunately you know we had the fires that raged across australia and then we had the pandemic so it hasn't been utilized to the the extent that we would love but hopefully as the as um you know the international tourists and and people come back we will utilize it but our visitor center starts to tell that story um and and when you come into a visitor center you know we start talking about um all of those all of the great things that we do across the island we have interactive experiences um we have um you know a, a cinema and and really immersive Um, engaging educational sort of activities for people to immerse in before they get to the penguin so so for us we're we're creating them the man-made the educational the story the immersive you know um, tactile experiences for them to to have fun and then they go out and then they experience the nature um, at the penguin parade. Um, the other thing is you know I, I am talking about the penguin parade it is what most people know about you know in terms of, of Phillip Island nature parks but yeah you know, we do have our other attractions and um you know they aren't necessarily naturally occurring we have um Churchill Island which um is is my I think it's our best kept secret it's its beautiful island off an island um overseeing the coast um we, you know it's a, a heritage listed site and we have a really amazing opportunity to talk to people about where, you know, not only you know how farming used to work, but also um, that sort of farm to table and where your food comes from and that connection. Uh, we also have um, re-released um, Eastern Barred Bandicoots on the island. So through um, European farming techniques, what we're also looking at is how farming and nature can intertwine and you can also rebuild back wild um, wild opportunities um, for nature as well so um, for us it's it's really looking it doesn't necessarily have to be nature and naturally occurring there's lots of opportunities to intertwine you know the and I say man-made but the the man experience or man created experiences and the fun and the enjoyable tactile stuff um to the the nature-based um you know which runs through everything we do whether it be Churchill Island the Nobbies. Um, the koalas, um, you know, we're, we're trying to connect people back to nature in in some way.
1: One thing that I find interesting is, you know, you talk about, you said the, the fun, the tactile, the interactive experiences. You said if somebody comes and sees the penguin parade and they say that's the coolest thing I've ever seen, that that is a huge component of the inspiration to then act and, and go beyond. So I can you talk a little bit of, I would say, the, the importance of I would say the the entertainment side of it, so that the guest comes and and what they're feeling is fun and excitement and enthusiasm and energy, but that the you talk about the story that you're telling and the the mission and the purpose yeah. that it may, maybe the guest notices it, maybe they don't necessarily feel yeah. it, maybe they realize it later when they're at the grocery store buying that reusable bag instead of the single use plastic of kind of just the importance of really the the education, the entertainment blending together.
0: Yeah, I think education, sorry, entertainment, sometimes it is a bit of a dirty word um, in, you know, this space. You know, animals aren't there for our entertainment. However, you know, I I do think that if we can entertain through respect of animals and create an experience um, that is engaging and entertaining and fun, you know, it doesn't have to slap you across the face from an educational standpoint to make you feel like you've gone back to school. Um, You know, if it's, and I... For, for lack of a better way of explaining, if we can sneak attack, educate you, you don't actually know that you're being educated and you're actually having a really great experience with your family, because that's also why we go out to these or your friends. You know, We, we create experiences for people to um, have a great time with their friends and families and, and connect with them as well as connecting with our experience. I, I think you can entertain, educate, inspire all in one. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive and it doesn't have to be a dirty word, especially in the animal um, industry of you know if we're entertaining you, um, it, it's it's you're not getting educated. I think you can actually get both. And I, I really do think it's important that if you know I'm, I'm coming to a, a, an attraction, whether it be a you know um, an amusement park or, a, or an animal facility, um they're done very differently the entertainment is is definitely done differently but it it's still entertaining and I'm still enjoying it because that's what all entertainment is it's enjoyment you know and and as long as you know we do it with respect to the animals they're not there for our entertainment um but you can still have a really great time when you go and experience some of these things and that that's okay
2: yeah. I wonder if one of the differences is that when you go to an amusement park and you're entertained by a roller coaster or a game or thing, those are inanimate objects, right? And you can put the entertainment value on a roller coaster and say it goes this fast and all that kind of thing. But when you're talking about an animal that, you know, has... Um, you know, a lifespan and it, you know, needs to be taken care of and those kind of things that, uh, again, people get very uh, protective of animals, which is, which is great. So I'm, I'm just wondering if that's part of the difference in the, maybe the thought process of what entertainment is, but I totally agree that we can do it. We can sneak attack. We can, we can do it all, all at once um, uh, so that people are entertained and they want to go to the next thing that gets them that next little bit of nugget of, of education.
0: Agreed. And I think there's a bit of, you know, we've got to think about the history of zoos and aquariums as well. Unfortunately, there was, and I think that's potentially why the the entertainment in in zoos and aquarium is probably not a word that everyone's comfortable using because back, you know, 50 odd years ago there, there was entertainment factor of you know shows and, and things that were probably not really where we are now in in this space and you know, we've evolved as, as 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 humans and what we expect and what we want from zoos and aquariums and it's not that you know um, show factor side of things of you know a monkey on a tricycle for example which essentially could have happened 75 years ago whereas now we're like well that's not that's not what we want in this space we want um you know we want respect we want the natural habitat you know we want natural environment natural behaviors um so I think that that's potentially some of the historic you know things that we've done in this space of why we 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 there is that a little bit of trepidation of calling entertainment because the, the public expects different now from animal attractions they want they, they've told us they want you know uh, more nature more natural uh, more natural behaviors um and really respecting animals and and that's what i think a lot of zoos and aquariums are doing around the world now is they're listening to um you know what what the public want and going okay you know we we need to change and and making sure that they are impacting conservation and and doing their part and playing their part and you know we have zoos victoria here um in in victoria and they do amazing things. They're not just a zoo. They're they're more than that. And they they impact a whole lot of things across our, not only Victoria, but across our country. Um so I think zoos and aquariums are doing a lot more in this space of being more being more to to the environment.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious then as far as I blending it with the guest experience. And this might be a a little bit of of an offshoot of of the previous question, but I've done a lot of work with guest feedback and looking at TripAdvisor reviews and guest sentiment and and things like that. And I, you know, in in many cases, looking at, you know, perception of animal care, of course, you know, as we know, has been just a a huge topic and looking at uh, not just how the facility is doing it, but how guests are perceiving it as well. And uh, you know that that in and of itself also uh, enhances the guest experience. They they see the the value for their dollar as well, uh, while at the same time connects with the mission too. Uh, but in some cases, that you know that can be uh, it can be difficult to do that depending on the animal, depending on the the nature of, of what it is. I remember uh, there was one animal park I was working with, and guests were complaining that the the baboons looked unhealthy. And I'm speaking to the general manager because that's actually just how they look. Like, <laughs> like they they just have those bumps and those spots, and you know, and, and those things on them. Um, so curious as far as you know, taking everything regarding conservation or ever whatever it is, perception of animal care, and uh, and having it not just be this is what we're doing, but this is how we're telling and showing our guests that we are doing all this and and serving the animals in their best interest.
0: Yeah, I think d- definitely telling your story is, is really important and, and, in, and explaining around, um, you know, what, what you're doing in that space. You know, p- penguins are a perfect example. Um, they molt and when they molt, that don't look so great and so a lot of when we're talking to our you know guests in the molting season is really you know that that's that learning opportunity it's what do they look like that well it's because of you know x y and z and and I, I definitely think you know from a visitor experience that that's a huge part of when they when they come to our, our facilities is that that education piece which is letting them know about the life cycle of animals and that that in itself is part of that inspiring to act is you know it's not just looking and seeing and you know and going oh that was great it's well what is what is the story about this animal what does you know what does it eat what does it you know ha- why does it have those bumps and things where you know what's their natural habitat look like what's their normal behaviours um, so I think that's a really important piece in um, when people are coming to to our facilities is that that story and telling their story and being their you know and being their voice of of, of you know Yeah, of their story.
2: So this may be a springboard from that question, Um, but thinking about the story of of an animal and an animal living in the wild, it's not always, you know, rosy and rainbows. You know, I mean, there's there's death and there's animals fighting and there's you know survival of the fittest and those kind of things. So. How do you then balance that part of the story um, and maybe those bumps and bruises come from, you know, fighting with other animals and, you know, trying to show their supremacy or whatever it is. But how do you then balance that sort of non fun part of the story, but very real with these penguins are really cute, you know, so there's gotta be a balance there.
0: Yeah, I, I think it really all depends on your audience as well. So what, you know, what the story might be to a, a five-year-old uh, uh, visiting to a, you know, a, a 25 or a 35-year-old might be a very, very different story. But, you know, I think that's a really important part of talking about predators and and what happens in the wild and and not only just the natural occurring instances, but you know, what people are doing. You know, we're, we're doing some pretty Horrific things to to animals out there, so um, I, I think that's in, an important part of of the realism, and it, and I think it can come from a place of not doom and gloom, but just really factual reality of of and and positive spin on what we can do. You know, there's some things that we can't impact, and you know, the the penguins have natural predators, and and that's you know that's what happens, but for us the the things the bad things and the doom and gloom and the things that are happening in the wild that are impacted by humans we we can impact that and we can tell that story and 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 put a positive spin on what well, can you do at home um to to help you know these little these little guys
1: yeah mm-hmm. I would love to then in uh weave in, I would say, the the staff and the employee experience side of it too, and really kind of keeping on theme with inspiring those to act. uh, What are some of the ways to, I would say, rally the team around that mission as well? So to inspire the employees, to inspire the guests to act. So now it's inspiration at scale, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I must admit, we we don't have a problem um, at nature parks about people's passion. Um, One of the things that uh, is Uh, very much at the forefront of every single staff member which is one of the reasons they choose the nature parks is their passion um for for not only the phillip island the animals and everything about it so um we have a natural um passion and care and um and and in fact that they um are advocates on on the boardwalks and and everywhere and and they will be our first sort of um yeah, they're our biggest advocates, and and that's um something that I don't even to, if I'm perfectly honest, we don't really do a lot around because it's just naturally occurring, and 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 um we're lucky enough to attract staff that uh, that are that care for our purpose, and I think that maybe that talks more about our purpose and 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 um the importance of when you are recruiting and looking for staff making sure that you're connecting people to your purpose and that when they're coming on board yes it might just be a summer job but do they really care about what you're doing as an overall organization and 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 I think that that for us is that start of of finding the right people um in previous roles um you know uh, in terms of getting the staff and that's not getting the inside I think it's inspiring the staff is you know we, we've had welfare um animal welfare charters that they've signed off on and 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 then we've sort of said look this is what we're um, we we're all agreeing on, we, you know, we, we will always, um you know, inspire, you know, guests, this is where we're coming from. We care about the animals. We make sure we're trained in everything that we do. We, you know, we call it out if we, you know, we see things. So setting those sorts of things up for the team um, and getting everyone in, you know, shared agreements of of what the animal welfare and what you're agreeing to in, and by being part of the team is what I've done in previous roles. But, you know, in terms of inspiring our current team, um, I think they inspire me, to be perfectly honest. They're, they're a pretty amazing bunch when it comes to um, the care um, of, of what we do.
2: That's amazing and, and probably a good problem to have, right? That yeah. <laughs> your team team uh, is already very passionate. Um, kind of along those lines, you've been in many different uh, leadership roles and certainly now acting as the CEO. Um Thinking about kind of your leadership journey uh, over the years, and whether it was in St. Louis or it was in Dubai, back in Australia, what have you noticed that may have changed or evolved about how you lead teams?
0: Yeah. I was thinking about this question, and I definitely think um, I, my, I've never really thought about my leadership style. And it, it's something that I, it's just evolved over time, and I've made mistakes, and I've gone, oh, that probably wasn't really good way to approach that and I've had successes and I thought that was really easy maybe I should do that more often Um and I, I think definitely over working with people in different countries um one of the things I learned very very quickly is cultural differences with people and different managing or leading people culturally. Um, When I moved to the Middle East, um, I was uh, in my twenties and I thought I knew everything and I thought I was a natural born leader and that I was just going to walk into this and it was going to be easy. Uh, And I had really hard lessons around Um, just cultural differences and working with people um, from different backgrounds Um, you know sometimes being a woman in in that space leading for certain cultures was different for them or or new for them so I had to navigate that with them Um, you know speaking to some cultures um, um, being really stern and direct can be really um, just too much for for some cultures as well. And so working through that and understanding and not everyone from the same culture is also the same. So uh, you've got a lot of these nuances when you're dealing with, um, you know, different people from all over the world. Um, And then even coming back to Australia, um, I've been overseas um, for, you know, in total 14 years. And um, coming back to Australia, I know I sound and I look Australian, but a lot of the time I'm like, what what what's that like I, I, I so I'm learning my own culture again and learning how to work with um you know Australians because I hadn't really worked with a lot of Australians for a really long time so I think my my leadership style has evolved um through dumb luck I'll be perfectly honest and probably not a not a lot of strategy around it um more so now I'm starting to really think about that though and I, I think as I've worked through my career and um, you know not really being thoughtful or um, driven with my, my my leadership I'm now sort of taking a step back and saying well I want to actually be more um, yeah more thoughtful around what that looks like so I, I've actually got a, a exec coach or a leadership coach that I'm working with at the moment which has been the best thing I've ever done and I, I think for me having someone reflect and say well what is your true intention and what do you want to do here and don't just muddle through it you can you can be thoughtful you can be um you know planned in most moments and I say that but at the end of the day you plan something and then you end up saying something completely different um but but for me I, I think that um that's where I am at the moment is really stepping back and going what kind of leader do I want to be I know that from you know, being an operator. So being in operations, I'm a very solution focused person. So my team will come to me and they'll they'll probably echo this is they'll come to me with a problem and I'll go to fix it. And that's not what they need. They need me to, you know, coach and 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 mentor them in in how they can fix it. So I'm I know where I'm at and I really know where I want to be. And I, I suppose I'm working through that and um, really, I, I think that I'll never stop learning. And, and maybe my my leadership goal now will in 10 years time might be something different because I've mastered that. And now I need to evolve into something completely different um, when I'm in 10 years time.
2: Yeah.
1: Is there any advice or guidance that you would give to aspiring leaders and executives who are listening to the podcast?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, okay, and I, I think it's overused. This whole authentic self um, sort of tagline: be your authentic self. Um, I, I think be yourself, um, but but also look. I can be, you know. I think I've been explained. Uh, someone's one of my team members explained me as the, you know, the kooky aunt that you have. Um, and and I, I think it was it was it was a nice thing to say. Okay, but just being that, being yourself, being. Um, you know if if you muck up you know it's okay if if you say something that you know you probably shouldn't have said you know it it, it talk through that and be honest and open and and um and again the, the word vulnerable um I, it is maybe a little bit overused but um i think by being yourself and knowing um that you're going to make mistakes and um you know just be honest with your team about that and be you know, open and transparent about the you're human, <laughs> you know, and and it's gonna happen. Um, that would be my probably my lesson, and, I, and not being as hard. Of, I was pretty hard on myself, you know. I you know every night, you know, I'd be working through the day and what I said and what I said wrong and what I should have said and mm-hmm. oh, did I? And I and I think that um, you know, over time, if you're just comfortable in just doing your best, being yourself learning as much as you can do and trying to be better each day and, you know, just not beating yourself up about it. Um, um, I'm still working on that. I haven't mastered that yet. So, you know, there's is some advice that I'm still working on myself, but that would be my advice.
2: Yeah. You, you pick some really easy ones to work on, I'm just, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> but, but, but it's, yeah. it's, it's true that it's, it's tough to be, like in an environment where you feel like there's an expectation on you to be a certain way or to lead a certain way, it can be tough to be the cookie ant. Or you know, like for me, when I'm doing a presentation, oftentimes I will make up a word, and I'll just I'll say, "Is that a word? Did I make that up?" Yeah. And people laugh, and it's funny. Yeah. Um, but you've got to be comfortable in your own skin to do that, and that I think takes some time. It takes confidence, and um, it 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 doesn't come without, like you said, some some mistakes along the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I um, I heard that there's a um a woman um, that's just been appointed as the CEO of the Melbourne um airport, and it was actually really. I think the more people we see like us, the more we go, oh, it's okay, you know. She she was just really like herself. That's I and and again, she talked about being authentic and that that word, and but she was just herself, and she was fun, and she said the wrong things, and and you know, I kind of relate and I was like. It's really refreshing to see other leaders in this space, and I think that that's you know if we find more people like us that make us that, that sort of go okay, oh, it's it's okay to be like that, and they're successful, and you know she's thriving, and what an amazing woman, um, you know she was, and and by I think go by find so by going out and finding similar leaders and talking to other people, and 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 you're right, Matt. Being okay in yourself, it's, it takes some time, and it and it it, it takes a lot of self talk and talking yourself, and go, it's okay, it's okay. Um, but yeah, I I think um, the more you go out and 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 talk and and network and find other people and find like minded leaders like you as well that you can bounce off, that's that's really helpful as well. And I, I have a great group of, of of people that I, um, you know, bounce ideas off, you know, talk through issues with. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, that's a huge part of of my leadership journey as well as having a good network. So that would be my other piece of advice. Find a good group of friends and colleagues and that you trust um, that you can go to and work through. Um, and if, you know, you do have the ability, you know, one of the things that I've, uh, that leadership coach that I've, you know, just started working with at the moment has been really great as well. So if you have the ability to get a leadership coach, fantastic. If you don't, Friends are just as good and 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 having a great network, I think is really important.
1: Yeah. That is good advice. Thank you. Uh Peter, this has been such a fascinating conversation. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. As we start to wind this down here, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them?
0: Yeah, absolutely and' um, we'll, you can head to penguins.org.au um, to, to learn more about the nature pups and we welcome everybody come to Phillip Island we need more international <laughs> tourists comes back come back to Australia come visit us um and uh, yeah they can definitely find me on LinkedIn um and definitely reach out and I'd love to hear from people if they they want to reach out to me.
2: Excellent. Excellent. We'll make sure all that gets in the show notes. And uh, like Josh said, Peter, this has been a great conversation. So thank you so much for your time. And to everybody who's out there watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros.
1: Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.